Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning. Good morning, YouTube land. It's good to be with, here with you. Happy New Year's to everybody. I feel like I haven't seen you since last year. <clears throat> so we enter into a new year, and um, for some people... That doesn't mean anything. And for some people, it brings them hope. But this morning, I looked in my kid's bathroom, and I saw all their clothes on the floor again, and I thought, it's going to be just like last year. (laughs) Um, If you've watched the news, you know that COVID cases are spiking again, so uh, please be safe out there. There are a couple of people in our community that have... I caught it, so we want to keep everyone in prayer, pray for each other's health, uh, everyone comes through okay, and that we get through this this time. Um, And then, in other, you know, cultural news, I guess, we lost Betty White on New Year's Eve. And I just wanted to mention it because everyone seems so affected by it and so sad, and I saw one post that, I, that really spoke to me, and uh, the gentleman said, if you live to be 99 and die, and people say you're gone too soon, that's a, a life well lived. And so just want to recognize that. 2022 has arrived, and so here we are. And like I said, maybe you feel excited, or maybe you just feel tired and withered. So we are either weary or ready. We're hopeful that it's going to be a better year, or we expect more of the same. I'm not sure. I read where a high school counselor asked a few students what New Year's means to them, and here are some of the answers. Um, They might resemble what you think, too. One student said, to me, it means fresh starts. The new beginning of something and being able to change something about myself. Another student said, the new year means pointless resolutions that no one will hold up to. (laughs) Another student said, I think it's a chance to commit to something new about yourself. And another one, you get the same, you know, fresh start, new decisions. Brie told me that when she was a kid, New Year's Day was a somber day for her. She never felt excited about it. Because to her, it meant this is the end of the holidays. The holiday season is over. And uh, now we have to kind of, you know, 
whatever it might be, go back to school or just kind of face life uh, as, it, as it goes on. I remember as a kid, New Year's kind of being a, uh, I, th I think I thought of it like a fresh start, like turning the page, new chapter. Uh, I used to make resolutions. Um, and sometimes I still do. But this year, I'm going easy on myself. <laughs> when you read this list of what the students said or maybe what you felt, you see that some people are optimistic and some are not. And I get it, and I think especially this year of all years, it's, it's just, you know, uh, two years ago, 2020, the year of perfect vision, right? <laughs> Everybody was like, this is going to be my year. Like, like, this is it. And I remember several people in, in the business I was in and uh, people I knew personally, this was going to be the year that everything was going to turn around, as if all the collective baggage was just going to disappear on New Year's Eve and on that new, you know, 2020, everything is going to be set right. And nobody knew it was going to hit just two and a half or three months later. Nobody knew it was going to unfold. And then last year, 2021 shows up and everybody was like, finally, get that year out of here. We're done with this 2020 crap. And then 2021 was like, hold my beer. <laughs> so here we are, it's 2022. Even the biggest optimists are a little bit skeptical. And what, if anything, can we hope for? Or should we just really, really lower our expectations <laughs> and celebrate every little win? I'm not sure. This morning, I want to spend our time together talking about three things. Faith, hope, and living in the kingdom. And I'm going to do this by kind of doing a quick summary of the book of Hebrews. And so if you have a copy of the scriptures or it's on your phone or whatever, uh, we're going to be starting in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. And right there it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I want to read that one more time. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For some reason, this verse, I've read it millions of times, and I always think there's some little, like, it's like a mind bender for me, because I have to read it more than once. <laughs> and maybe it's just me, because I'm not that smart. And it's not overly complex. But I think that there's something deep here. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We are people of faith. We might call ourselves men, men and women of faith. At our best, we are people, what this says here, we are people who are sure of what we hope for. We believe in what we hope for. We're convinced of things that we cannot see with our eyes. That's what faith is. And in the context of what the author of Hebrews is telling his audience what we hope for is life in this unshakable kingdom. So think of it like this. Faith sees what is now. Hope sees 
what is still to come. Do you guys remember the Greek mythology, the story of uh, Sisyphus? I have to be careful how I say that because I've said that wrong before. <laughs> uh, he was punished in the underworld by Zeus. Some people say Hades, depends on, I guess, the story you're listening to. But he was the guy that had to roll the boulder up the hill for all eternity, right? And then when he got to where he thought was the end, the peak where he could take a break, the stone would roll back down to the bottom and he'd start all over. What a drag. <laughs> Some people are like, man, that sounds like my job. In the 1950s, a professor at John Hopkins conducted a pretty gruesome experiment using lab rats and wild rats. And if you love rats, you might want to plug your ears for a second because it's pretty sad. He started by dropping 12 domesticated lab rats into jars of water, and then he watched them drown. He took notes. Three of them died really quickly, but nine of them swam for days in the jar, for days before they finally gave up. The next part was he had collected 34, I think it was 34 wild rats, sewer rats, who were known be, to be great swimmers because they're sewer rats and they're pretty aggressive and they're pretty nasty little things. But he said he dropped 34 of them in 34 jars of water and they all 34 died within just a couple of minutes. They didn't swim, they didn't try to survive, they just sank. So he was surprised by that, and he decided he was going to change up the, the experiment a little bit because he thought maybe the domesticated rats swam for days because they grew up with people feeding them and handling them, and these wild rats had no such experience. So they just they didn't have anything in their arsenal to say, maybe somebody's going to save us. So they just gave up. So uh, Professor Kurt Richter changed the experiment. He went one more round, dropping similar rats in the jars. But this time, every time he saw one sink, he reached in and pulled it out, put it down, and let it rest. Just a couple of minutes. And then he put it back in the water. And this way he wrote, these are his words, the rats quickly learn that the situation is not actually hopeless. When the rats learned that they were not doomed, the situation was not all bad and all lost, that there might be a helping hand nearby. In short, when they had a reason to keep swimming, they did. They did not give up. They did not go under. And again, he wrote, these are his words, after elimination of hopelessness, the rats do not die. Now, there are obviously lots of differences between rats and humans, but one similarity stands out. We all need a reason to keep swimming. We all need hope. So what is faith? Faith is confidence in what we hope for. And so I ask you, what do you hope for? What do you hope for? What is your faith all about?
Some of us are like, man, I was hoping for a new Tesla, but I don't think that's the right answer. <laughs> Reminds me of a pastor who was giving a, a children's uh, message on a Sunday. He'd have them come up and sit around the stage right before they were dismissed to the children's room. And this particular Sunday, he wanted to give them a, a lesson. And for his illustration, he used a squirrel. And he said, I'm going to describe for you guys something, and I want you to guess what it is. And the children all nodded and were eager to hear. And he said, they thought they had the answer already. And he said, this thing lives in trees. It eats nuts. And all the kids kind of looked confused for a minute. And he kept going, it's gray. It's got a bushy tail. The kids started looking at each other, but nobody raised their hand. And he said, and it jumps from tree to tree. It chatters and flips its tail when it's excited. Finally, one little boy raises his hand and he says, I know the answer is supposed to be Jesus, but it sounds like you're talking about a squirrel. <laughs> Let me ask you a trick question. To whom do you think the author of this letter, Hebrews, was writing to? <laughs> Hebrews. <laughs> This letter is named after its recipients. So we know that he's writing to people of Hebrew, the Jewish faith, because he gives us so much depth. This, this author, who we don't really know who it is, uh, this author has such uh, deep and rich theology and so much wisdom and has uh, quite obviously studied the scriptures and he's writing this to Hebrews. And then the next question we should ask is, why is he writing this letter? Why is he writing this letter to these Hebrews? And he's writing because these dear brothers and sisters in the faith were weary. They'd been through it and they were tired. They had already been under like one round of persecution under one nasty emperor. <clears throat> Excuse me. And... They're about to face the next. And Nero was not, a, was not a nice man. So these believers, it seemed, were on their last leg. <clears throat> They'd been swimming, if you'll let me, for too long. Some of them are sinking, giving up. And so whoever the author of this letter is, some say maybe this is Barnabas or Apollos, um, some people say Clement of Rome. He writes this deep and profound letter to encourage them to remember what it is that they live for, to remember what it is that they have hope in and who they have faith in and how what they hope for is better than even life itself. I think that if you were to take the whole book of Hebrews and try to summarize it into one short sentence, it would be this. Hebrews is written to teach us that Jesus is better. He starts off the first four chapters telling us that Jesus is better than the prophets. Jesus is better than the angels. <clears throat> He's better than Moses. He's better than the Sabbath. 
He's better than any other priest that has ever lived. Then he goes on, verses 5 through about the middle of verse, uh, chapter 10. Uh, he says, <clears throat> he's not only better than any priest, but he's better than any earthly priesthood. He's better than the old covenant. He's better than sacrifices and daily offerings. All of the objections that any good Hebrew would have to, to give us he gives us reason after glorious reason that Jesus is better, why he's better. And then toward the end, in chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, he tells us that Jesus shows us a better way to live. Verse 19 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, so he's been talking about how great and how awesome and how much better Jesus is, <clears throat> and he says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. <clears throat> and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. <clears throat> Excuse me. Horse today. He says, there is a new and living way. There is a new and living way to walk with God in confidence, holding fast to our confession of hope, Encouraging one another to love hard and to do good, <clears throat> to make our world better. Chapter 11, then, when we come to chapter 11, we call this the Hall of Faith, the Hall of Faith, as the author lists all the Hebrew heroes that came before them. Remember, he's writing to Hebrews. <clears throat> And he's saying, look at all of our ancestors. Look at the faith that they had in crazy circumstances when things shouldn't have gone their way. <clears throat> and he says, I'm not going to read it all because it's huge and long. <clears throat> <clears throat> but he says, Abel, all the way back, right? All the way back. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and all the Hebrews that crossed the Red Sea, Rahab, Gideon, Samson, David, Samuel. And then he says, I could keep doing this, but it's getting long and I don't have time. <laughs> Literally, he says, I'm running out of time for this. Thank you, go. <clears throat> all of these people did extraordinary things by faith and in hope. 
this long list. And then when we get to chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, all these, all these heroes of our faith who have gone before us, who have seen things that were not there by faith, who had hope that everything that God promised was true and they believed it and they moved forward in it. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He says, look at all these men and women who lived and died by faith. From the very foundation of God's relationship with man, his friendship with Abraham, since they have paved the road for us, it's like he's, he's giving us this, you know, this obvious kind of um, lesson of he's using the, the, uh, the race, right, as an, as an object lesson. Like these people started running because they believed what God had for them. And now they're passing the baton to you. So let us run this race like they did. Let us run this race with endurance, keeping our eyes on Jesus. On Jesus, who is better than all of this. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, who suffered for us. Let's fix our eyes on him. The message translation says it like this. He says, when you find yourselves flagging in your faith, right, when you find yourself weary, go over that story again. Go over the Jesus story again, item by item. That long litany of hostility he plowed through, that will shoot an adrenaline into your soul. The author of Hebrews goes on through chapter 12 to remind us that God is treating us like he treats all his children. We might, we might think that this weariness is too much for us to handle, that what God has given us to do is too hard for us, or the circumstances of our culture are overwhelming. We might think that, man, I can't stay home another day because it's been a year and a half of feeling like a shut-in, and whatever it might be. But he says, whenever you find yourselves weary in your faith, go over the story again. Read Jesus' life story, right? Item by item. Everything that he plowed through. And let that be a shot of adrenaline to your soul. God is, is disciplining us. He's training us. He's showing us a way to live better. The way of Jesus. And in doing so, these Hebrews, who he's already kind of chastised before for being a little bit immature in their faith after all this time that they've believed. He's saying, you haven't been doing the work. So God is pushing you into this time to train you and show you to mature in your relationship with God and also to live with one another and work with one another together for the sake of this unshakable kingdom. And I don't want to water down the language here. Chapter 12 is a tough talk. 
to the people who are facing actual life-threatening persecution. And he's telling them to cowboy up. <laughs> he's saying it's going to get rough. But this is it. There's, no, there's nothing else. There's nothing better. There's nothing better. There's nothing better to commit your life to. There's nothing better than this. There's nothing better to live for. So don't give in. Don't give up. Don't get distracted. This is in your DNA. Look at your ancestors. Look what they did. Look what Jesus did. And he kind of says, cowboy up. He kind of says, get, get, off, you know, get off your hands. This is your moment. This is your story. In faith, by hope. So what do you hope for? What is your faith about? Toward the end here at the bottom of chapter 12, he says, therefore, I love this verse, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let, our, let us offer our acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. It's 2022. We're not staring down Nero's army. We're not going to be impaled and left as a burning corpse at the city gates, I hope. <laughs> but these people were. That's what they were looking at. And the author says to them, be grateful. Be grateful for this kingdom that we are a part of, that we are citizens of, this kingdom that will not be shaken. And so we ought to offer up our praise and adoration and our worship because our God is a consuming fire. Our God is better. We have been given this kingdom, the holy city, that will culminate when we hear a loud voice coming from the throne, it tells us, where the voice will say, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or no more mourning. There will be no more crying and no more pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. This is what it looks like in the kingdom of God. And every time we see it breaking through into our world, we have to proclaim that. We have to, we have to recognize it. We have to be on the lookout for it. And every time we see the kingdom of God entering in, breaking through, we say, look, here it is. This is the kingdom of God. This is God's work. This is God entering in the storyteller entering the story. God is here. God is there. God is at work through for a reason and the work they're doing in Haiti. God is at work in Warrior for Children and as they deliver tangible needs to children of trauma. God is at work in Project Boone when they feed the under, underserved, underserved people. Look, God is at work here in the people of Genesis and their generosity and in their love for one another. Look at the way they encourage each other to spur each other on. God is working through common ground events when they bring people together and share their gifts that God has given them. The kingdom of God isn't as abstract as we might think. It's all around us. 
You just have to open your eyes a little, a little bit wider to see it. And I want to expand your vision today, if you'll allow. These last three chapters of Hebrews, faith in God, hope to endure, and love and encouragement to one another. It reminds me of the passage in Acts that Sam read last week. Acts 2.42, talking about the disciples of Jesus, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to everyone who had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Is this the prescription for a church in 2022? Probably not. Most of us probably don't want to live in a commune. Maybe you do. But look at the spirit of this community. These people loved each other. They sacrificed for each other. They did crazy things to make sure that nobody had needs. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. And it's not lost on me that this is the very first community of believers we see after Jesus has ascended. And it's right after he ascended, right? It's, it's really close. So now we're like, why were they this in love with each other? Because those apostles had been walking with Jesus for three years. This is how they lived. This is how they saw their master experience life and teach them about it. This is how Jesus lived. This is the way of Jesus. Devotion, teaching and fellowship and prayer, breaking of bread, the commonality of purpose, meeting the needs of people, generosity, praising God. This is the life of faith. This offers hope to endure. And this is how we love and encourage one another. It's 2022, and I don't know what this year will bring. I don't know what it will look like. I don't know whether to be optimistic or not. But I'll tell you this. I'm looking forward to this adventure with you guys. Because I think God is calling us to something big. It's something new. And I hope we're ready for it. Father, thank you so much that you love us. Thank you so much that you meet with us, that you fellowship with us here. Um, whether we're in a room together or whether we're uh, in some other city, some other state, or some other country, you bring us together because we are your family. We are your children. And we want to honor you. And we want to praise you. We want to learn to walk like Jesus. And we ask for your leading, your spirit. 
ask for your blessing upon this community, Father, as we seek to step into this adventure with you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.